We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Get ourselves going in the book of Acts, chapter 1. Just a short message tonight. Well, I think it's short. We'll see. Um, Acts chapter 1, particularly verses 9 through 11. Welcome to those who are watching, viewing online. Um, If you'd turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. We have uh, spent two messages here already in the first 11 verses, focusing on the content of the book of Acts, focusing on, uh, or emphasizing rather, that this book is about the subsequent work of Jesus through the apostles. Luke had already written one book, the gospel by his name, in which he described all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Now Jesus is continuing this work, but how is he doing that? He's doing that through an alter ego, if you will, a, another helper like himself who came And uh, we'll read about that, especially in chapter 2, in the coming of the Spirit of God. Uh, We read about what Jesus did during the 40 days that he was with the disciples after his resurrection. We listed out seven items of uh, what he was doing there, particularly giving them commandments, teaching them about the kingdom of God, telling them to wait for the promise of the Spirit, uh, answering a question they had about the kingdom of God, and, uh, and those sorts of things. Tonight we go to verse 9, and it says this in verse 9, Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven." So what I did in my notes here is I called this the pivotal event, the pivotal event, the ascension. Uh, Not because it's the most important pivot point in the Bible. I would say probably the most important pivot point would be the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, obviously. But here we're shifting now our attention from the uh, ministry of Jesus while he's on the earth, and he leaves, and so what are we left with? No Jesus here. Uh, there's something else that's going to, uh, to go on. And so it's a pivot to the new phase of his work through the Spirit and the apostles. It's sort of like graduation or moving out on your own. There's a big change that happens. Uh-oh, Jesus is gone. Now what do we do? <laughs> you know, we just watched him go up, up there. Um, so very interesting and you know, significant, momentous event in the life of the early church. Now, this is a miraculous departure. The text describes it as a visible departure, not an ethereal or spiritual one. I say that because there are many people who kind of try to make this all very, I don't know, spiritualized, could I call it that? Although 
spiritual has to means having to do with the Holy Spirit, but when people say spiritualized or I'm spiritual or whatever, they kind of mean like religious or I've got this idea in my heart or I feel this way. Uh, we're not talking about an ethereal or spiritual departure. He went out of their sight in l- literal fashion. He was there on the ground and then he left. Very unusual, very odd for that sort of thing to happen. Now, except for a couple of other appearances recorded later in the Bible, he's remained gone. What were some of those other appearances in the New Testament? Well, he appeared on the road to Damascus the Apostle, to the Apostle Paul. And also in Acts 23.11, the Bible says that the Lord stood by him and said, you know, as you've testified here about me, you're going to testify in Rome also. So he stood with him and encouraged him. Um, and there may be one in Acts 27, but I didn't look that one up. You can look that one up sometime. And then you have appearances of Jesus to, um, well, we might say, you know, yeah, he appeared to Paul during his three years in Arabia, quite possibly. Uh, but John in, in Revelation chapter 1 in the following chapters, remember John saw the Lord? He saw him and described him with the white hair and the fiery eyes and the vestments that he was wearing and that sort of thing. So we see a few places where Jesus appears again after his ascension, but basically the Lord is out of sight until he comes back. John 20, verse 29 says, Blessed are those who believe, although they have not seen. Blessed are those who believe, although they have not seen. And that's where we sit. We haven't seen him, but we're convinced about him because of what he's done for us and the impact that he's had on our lives and the lives of others as well. This event of the ascension of Jesus stands against what we call naturalistic uniformitarianism. Okay, that's a big word. Naturalistic uniformitarianism. What does uniformitarianism mean? Say, as things have been, they will continue to be. Just, it's, it's all natural. There's no supernatural things. Supernatural explanations are to be ruled out immediately without question. Um, and so, you know, this event seems fantastical, impossible to the natural mind. It doesn't receive the things of God, just throws it out. Uh, we don't because we understand supernatural things have happened in our lives and the lives of uh, Christians over the centuries and in the scriptures. You know, there's some things that we just don't simply understand. Uh, a magnet will raise something up off the ground, right? You know that. Now, can you explain it? I'm looking around and I'm thinking, probably nobody here can explain how a magnet works. I have no idea how it works. I know what it does. But to explain the mechanism by which something can have more stronger attraction than gravity does and lift that thing up. Even if you can explain the natural mechanism that is at work, the existence of that mechanism itself defies naturalistic explanation. Where did it come from? How did that come about, that that gravity works, that magnetism works, that electricity does its thing, you know, these these forces of nature. How? Well, God designed them in somehow marvelously. 
But the, so you can understand to, to some extent, but the ascension of Christ is outside even of the realm of that. I mean, I'm not saying that there is a magnet up in heaven that drew Christ up from the ground. Don't take me to be saying that. But something inexplicable by human means, by uh, naturalistic means, that stuff doesn't happen. Although I bet when the time comes, if God opens up our minds and helps us to see things more accurately, we may see that, some of those things actually make perfect sense in God's mathematical and physical system, whereas we don't see it now. But in any case, um, as with other events in the life of the Lord, notice what happened in verse 10. Two men stood by them in white apparel. Well, that's a pretty dead giveaway. We're talking about angels here, aren't we? Angels attended many major events in the life of Jesus and relayed messages from God. So think of other places in the Bible where angels ministered in the life of Jesus. Can you rattle off one or two of them for me? Angels associated with Jesus in his life on earth. Announcement of his birth, Matthew 1.20. What's that? In Matthew chapter 4 and the temptations... It says angels came and ministered to him after he was hungry, understatement, uh, for 40 days and not having eaten or whatever. Um, The angels were involved in the uh, not only announcement of his birth to Joseph and Mary, but also to the shepherds. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. There's born to you this day in the city of David a Savior. That was an angelic message, not a human message. Um. What about in the flight to Egypt? The Lord, you know, sometime after he was born, a few weeks or months or whatever, flee to Egypt. And then the angel came and said, okay, they're dead now. Go back from Egypt. John the Baptist, too, was announced in his birth as being integral to the life of Christ, uh, the temptation in the wilderness. Where else were angels present in the life of Jesus? Naomi? Gethsemane. Luke twenty two forty three. Jesus sweat great drops of blood. It says, and and uh, angels came. An angel came and strengthened him. If anybody needed strength at any time in world history, it was then and there. The Lord Jesus needed that, and God provided it. Where else were angels present in the life of Jesus and his time on earth? Is what I mean. At the tomb, right. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. They rolled back the stone or caused the earthquake that rolled back the stone, whatever. And uh, they were there and spoke to the women and to the disciples. And then at the ascension uh, we have here as well. And then let me uh, share with you one more, which is not in the time of the Lord on earth his first time, but it is about his second time on earth. Matthew 13, verse 41. The Son of Man will send out His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and all those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be weeping, or sorry, wailing and gnashing of teeth. And so several other times uh, you'll see verses like this. Look, I'll just read another one. Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. So at the second coming, also the angels are there attending their King. 
They are part of his entourage that comes back to the world and they will take care of some of the, uh, could I say, dirty work that needs to be done uh, to clean up those that offend and move them out of his kingdom. Now, the, the uh, next thing that we want to read in this section is in verse 11 about the angelic message regarding the second coming. And these two men in white apparel said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? Well, now, let me just ask you a question. If this happened to you, what do you think you'd be doing? What just happened, guys? <laughs> you'd be gazing up into heaven, too, you know, naturally. Uh, where did he leave to? Where did he go? How did that happen? This same, he says, they say, this same Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So the... Uh, Angels make it clear that Jesus, who they observed going up, come back down the same way. What goes up must come down. <laughs> uh, it's a little memory device there for you. Um, and and, and uh, by the way, he's associated. His coming is associated with the clouds. This is what I was telling Jansen. He's got to do a theology of clouds. He did a theology of snow a few weeks back for men, men's prayer, so now it's going to be a theology of clouds. But, uh, you know, think of clouds. Matthew seven, or, uh, yeah, 17, Mount of Transfiguration, what happened? A cloud overshadowed the mountain, and a voice came out of the heavens and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That cloud obscuring the presence of God or was part of the glory of God or something. Matthew 24:40 says the son of man will come with the clouds of heaven. Just like he went up and a cloud received him out of their sight, he's going to come back that way. This is a fulfillment of what major prophecy in the Old Testament? Anybody remember? Jesus is being tried later on by the Sanhedrin and he says, "Look, there's coming a time when the son of man will come on the, it will be sit at the right hand of the power, meaning the power of God, and he will come with the clouds of heaven. They understood him to say, I am the one Daniel prophesied in chapter 7 and verse number 13. The Son of Man who comes with the clouds of heaven and comes before the Ancient of Days, Daniel 7, 13 and 14, to receive for himself and be invested with the power to rule in the kingdom on earth. That stone which... Well, the builders rejected, but that stone which was cut out without hands and crashed onto the kingdoms of the earth and filled the earth because his kingdom becomes an all-consuming, everlasting kingdom. The clouds of heaven. The Lord comes on the clouds of heaven. Uh, this is a phrase that refers to the atmospheric heavens. It's not clouds of outer space. It's not clouds that come from the third heaven. It's clouds of the heaven just like what you look out on a nice summer cloudy day or partly cloudy day and say, hey, there's a nice looking cloud there or whatever. Um, beyond the, of course, the atmospheric heavens, which we breathe and fly in, there is the starry heavens. Sam, you with me? You feeling okay? There are three heavens now, okay? Three of them. One is the air. Two is the outer space. And three 
That's where God lives, okay? Three heavens. So that's why sometimes you read in the Bible and it says heavens, plural. And uh, when the Lord comes with the clouds of heaven, that means he's coming down from the third heaven through the second heaven to the first heaven, the one with the clouds in it, and he's going to be here on the earth. Now, there's other verses that talk about the Lord coming with the clouds of heaven. Uh, he has a, a, a sickle. He reaps uh, from the cloud, bring, gathers in his people. The angels do the same, but they're gathering up the grapes of wrath uh, to receive judgment. Uh, what about 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17? 1 Thessalonians 4, that's the chapter about the rapture. What happens with clouds in the rapture? Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So you see how it's kind of significant that these angels say, you know, the same Jesus went up that way, he's coming back that way. Indeed, he is coming back that way with the clouds of heaven. Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. So I guess, what else could I add about this? Revelation 1, 7. Behold, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, and even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. Revelation 14 also has that. But if somebody comes in the clouds of heaven without the assistance of an airplane, a glider, or a parachute, this is a remarkable event. Okay? Again, supernatural, just like it was when he left. Now, the Bible is here in Acts 1 by the angels telling us in clear and in, in certain terms the second coming is a direct, essential teaching of the Christian faith. Jesus' first coming was bodily. It was visible. His leaving was the same, bodily and visible, and his coming again will be bodily and visible. None of this, listen, none of this is pretend. It doesn't, it's not just a religious fable that makes us feel good or, you know, we feel really triumphant when we read this. Oh, yeah, good is going to prevail or, or we feel comforted or whatever by this, by this so-called, as people would say, fiction. This is not fiction. This is, as one of our brothers says, faction, F-A-C-T. It's a fact. It's history. It was real. It was real. It will be real. Because of this, we must take heed to this teaching. Um, one last uh, kind of, well, I should, maybe I'll put it in this order. This is part of the teaching of what we call the imminent return of Christ, the imminent return of Christ. That means that at any time, Jesus could come back, imminent any moment, not necessarily quickly. Well, when he begins to come, it will happen quickly. That's what Revelation tells us, but not necessarily soon, but imminent, any time. Nothing needs to be done or fulfilled in order for Christ to come, except we might say, for the last person to be joined to the church. We don't know when that will be. At any time he can come back. At any time we could be held accountable to him. At any time 
our life's work may be over. Our enjoyment of life's blessings could be over at any moment. And so what's the implication of that? You have to be ready at any time. 1 John 2.28 says, Beloved, we don't want to be ashamed before Him at His coming. You've heard the gospel, and yet you're living like a sinner, and the Lord Jesus shows up. James 5.9 says, The judge stands at the door. Sudden judgment. Luke chapter 12, 42. It says this. The Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and to drink and to be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him and at an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. Mark 13 adds that only the Father knows the time. So we have to be ready. We have to watch. Luke chapter 12 announces uh, or reminds us that the thief never comes on a schedule, does he? If you knew what hour the thief was coming, you'd be ready, right? You'd have the phone dialed up 911 already. You'd have your defensive uh, posture, your defensive gear out. Everything would be ready, house locked, barricaded, barred, you know, lights on, everything. But he doesn't announce his coming. Matthew 25 says, You do not know the day or the hour, therefore watch and be ready. And so from this Acts 1 passage, because of the certainty and and truth of his leaving, he's also coming, and although we don't know the time, that drives us to be ready and to, to be able to say, Look, at any time my service could be finished. I, I have done the work that God has called me to do. I'm going to serve him until he returns or takes me. Of course, you know that it's not just the second coming that could happen, right? The rapture, the first phase of it. But it's, you know, we could pass away anytime. Two people just this week, one Sunday at noon, I found out, in, or 11 o'clock during the service, and one on Monday. You know, strange. No, actually, both of those people, one was 50, not even 59. The other was probably in his early 30s. You know, we have enough experience in life to know that sometimes God takes 17-year-olds 
or 77-year-olds. And, uh, you know, I guess maybe it sounds old or whatever, but, <laughs> you know, when uh, you've lived long enough, you've seen a lot of people die, and it's uh, more pointed. Uh, it's, it's easy to ignore it when you're, you know, a kid or a teenager, but not so when you've reached, you know, higher ages <laughs> or you've done more funerals. I never, I never could imagine. Uh, I probably went to one funeral when I was a kid. One person close that I knew that died. And my parents probably kept us away from a few others. You know how parents would do. I've done more funerals by far than I ever attended when I, in my first 20 or 25 years of my life. It's just crazy. Uh, eight, what was it, seven or eight days after I became pastor here, I had my first funeral, Bill Beard. He, he uh, well, when was it? I became, church called me on s- Sunday, and he fell on Monday or Tuesday or sometime then, and then a week later he was gone. And um, so, you know, like I say, it may sound worn out and all that sort of thing, but the reality is we never know. Our sister was just in another car accident. Now, that was minor, but how do you know it was going to be minor? I mean, it could have been a head-on one instead of a side swiper, you know? Who knows? So um, our times are in his hands. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for reminding us of this truth and... uh, Although, Lord, we don't know the time of your coming or the time of our going, we know enough to know that the Lord is coming with the clouds of heaven and that coming at the rapture demands that we watch and be ready. His second coming as well after that, after the tribulation when he arrives, demands that his people be watching and waiting and ready. Lord, I pray that we will not take this stuff lightly. Oh, Lord, it will be serious that the, the, the things that happen to us in this life and the, 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 the big deals we make about things will kind of get shrunk down back into molehill status, which is where they, many of them belong in comparison to these things. We pray for those families that have suffered loss this week for the extended Sal Haney family, for the extended Sal family. Oh, Lord, please comfort and encourage them in the midst of their loss. And uh, thank you for reminding us of the brevity of life and how we must uh, have a loose grip on this earth because we'll be pried away from it sooner or later. In Jesus' name, amen.